This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain dot tv slash gold thank you very much folks the numbers are growing people are listening and this is a good thing for humanity keep spreading the word ladies and gentlemen i want to thank everyone who left a five-star review at apple podcast we truly appreciate that for everyone who joined us over at pain.tv slash gold a double thank you to you folks it means more to us than i can even express here and so yesterday let's get right into this folks yesterday we did a forty thousand foot view of operation paperclip and mk ultra because you guys asked me to start talking about that so there's so much more to get into on that subject but we have to work our way back to the military cyborg soldier program i really need to finish that stuff up before i delve deep into operation paperclip but i want to show you something interesting and we're going to pick up where I ended the show yesterday and then work our way back into Cyborg Soldier. And um, also was doing some reading last night on cybernetics, which we're going to get into soon. Uh, Maria Albanese had sent me some more information, and I was able to connect cybernetics going all the way back to paperclip. So that's going to be interesting. But um, let me just pick up here. This was at the npr.org article folks this is about mk ultra if you don't remember i will read the title to you it was the cia's secret quest for mind control torture lsd and a quote poisoner in chief end quote and this was written in september 2019 and this was based on an interview with journalist Stephen Kinzer. And eventually we are going to play this interview if I cannot get Stephen Kinzer on the show. Uh, because there's a lot of important nuggets in there that we're going to need to dissect. But let me just pick up at the last paragraph that I had read yesterday. It says, quote, Gottlieb, and they're talking about, if you were not listening, they are talking about Sidney Gottlieb okay and Sidney Gottlieb was a CIA mad scientist okay and this program MK Ultra which was about mind control Sidney Gottlieb was in charge of this so I'm going to just give you a little background on this because I want to show you a connection 
we just made as we're talking about the cyber soldier program and we were getting into the last time we discussed it the ability for the government to connect into the mind and basically have man and machine communicate at a cellular level of which dr peter emmanuel called a revolutionary moment not evolutionary revolutionary and so i want to just show you a couple connections um this is just one example folks of where paperclip you know which i believe leads into mk ultra i mean i don't just believe it we'll have proof to show you that it does um leads into mk ultra and mk ultra leads into what we're talking about today but the last paragraph was quote gottlieb wanted to create a way to seize control of people's minds and he realized it was a two-part process end quote kinzer says quote first you had to blast away the existing mind yeah folks you just blast away the existing mind just blast it away blast 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 all right it goes on to say second you had to find a way to insert a new mind into that resulting void we didn't get too far on number two but he did a lot of work on number one so he did a lot of work on blasting away the existing mind didn't necessarily get into inserting a new mind into the resulting void left behind by blasting away the existing mind now let me just put this in context for you what have we heard Dr. Charles Morgan III, former CIA intelligence officer, currently working as a professor via government grants at University of New Haven. What do we hear him talking about, folks? Being able to insert memories into your head, being able to uh, extract memories from your mind, being able to program you while you are sleeping. As he said, if you can change humans' past, you can change humans' behavior. And so they clearly found ways, folks, since back in the days of Gottlieb, we're supposed to believe that he did not figure out how to fill the resulting void left behind by blasting away one's mind but maybe he did figure it out or some of the mad scientists after him did let me go on with this it says kinzer notes that the top secret nature of gottlieb's work makes it impossible to measure the human cost of his experiments quote we don't know how many people died but a number did and many lives were permanently destroyed end quote says the journalist well folks it's not like when Gottlieb was done, this program ended. Oh, no, no, folks. We'll get into that shortly as we work our way back to Drs. Peter Emanuel and Diane Dulius, the people who are basically running the extension of what was Gottlieb's work. Goes on to say, ultimately, Gottlieb concluded that mind control was not possible. Oh, well, he should have been fired because that's not true. After MK Ultra shut down, he went on to lead a CIA program that created poisons and high-tech gadgets for spies to use. Kinzer, the author, writes about Gottlieb and MK Ultra in his new book Poisoner in Chief. All right. So, 
basically what's happening is you have this story of Sidney Gottlieb, this monster working for the United States government, who you will find out soon enough that he was running these LSD-driven hypnosis torture programs on people who did not even sign up to be in these human guinea pig trials. And as he was torturing them, he killed some of them. Now, you would say to yourself, this guy was sanctioned by the United States government to do just what the Nazis were accused of doing, but yet we let the Nazis off and brought them over here to run these experiments in this country? Oh, yes, we did, folks. Oh, yes, we did. We talked a little bit about that yesterday, and we will get into that in depth in coming episodes. So you say, now this guy is giving carte blanche by the government to run these experiments, torture, and kill people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, let's just continue here. Because I, I just want to set the stage for you as I'm going to make a, um, a big unveil, a big unveil as we work our way back to the cyborg soldier. It says in here, uh, these are some of the interview highlights. And again, we'll listen to this interview and analyze it in depth if I cannot get um, this author on the show. But this is a uh, piece called On How the CIA Brought LSD to America. LSD, acid, folks psychedelics which now we're working very hard to legalize this stuff we have the government involved with it we've been testing it on u.s war veterans um we are probably going to start selling it out of the government pot shop soon peter thiel's behind it deepak chopra all these big guys are all invested in this joe rogan goes out there and pushes this so the cia brought lsd to america and now you can sleep good at night knowing that it will probably be legalized and the government will be selling it to your children yeah i mean hey look if you want to get messed up you're an adult you do what you want to do i am a libertarian on that front but when the government gets involved and starts actually being the promoters of it and when you go back in history and see that it was the cia that actually brought it here you start to say to yourself how good is it folks because i know the government doesn't love me if i'm not going to take a jab they offer me i sure as hell aren't going to take any drugs they offer me especially stuff that came out of the cia used for mind control by the way and then you say to yourself how does joe rogan who supposedly knows everything that he does he's looked at as a renaissance man how does he promote something that came out of the cia all right it goes on to say uh, as part of the search for drugs that would allow people to control the human mind cia scientists became aware of the existence of lsd and this became an obsession for the early directors of mk ultra actually the mk ultra director sydney gottlieb can now be seen as the man who brought lsd to america he was the unwitting godfather of the entire lsd counterculture now why would you say unwitting how do you know that it wasn't wittingly that he did this how do you know the cia's intention was not to spread the lsd counterculture i don't know i don't know but it goes on to say in the early 1950s gottlieb arranged for the cia to pay two hundred and forty thousand dollars to buy the world's entire supply of lsd folks this is forget about gottlieb 
and forget about the CIA. Because when someone like Gottlieb is done, when the program ends or he dies, they will then claim, well, it was just a horrible time. He was a terrible man. It's all over now. No, no, no. They don't get off that easy. This is Gottlieb getting money from the CIA who answers to the executive branch. And all this money has to flow through Congress, through the House of Representatives that control the purse strings. So they don't get off on this, folks. This is the state who arranged to buy the world's entire supply of LSD. Let's continue. Gottlieb brought this to the United States, and he began spreading it around to hospitals, clinics, prisons, and other institutions, asking them through bogus foundations to carry out research projects and find out what LSD was, how people reacted to it, and how it might be able to be used as a tool for mind control. So this is a scientist at the CIA given the money by government to buy the world's supply of LSD, set up fake, bogus foundations, of which the CIA and the government still does, right? And then spread it around to hospitals, clinics, prisons, and institutions, and asking them, under these bogus foundations, to help carry out research projects and find out what LSD was and how it could be used as a tool for mind control. Is that not the same thing we're seeing happen with these universities today? Uh, Let me ask you a question. What do you think the Thiel Fellowship is? What do you think all of these venture capital firms we've looked at who go and invest in companies partnered with InQtel, the CIA's, venture capital firm. These are all cutouts, folks. These are cutouts for the government. As Mike would say at the Thomas Paine podcast, these people are licensed criminals. You're licensed to commit crimes. And so the government could go set up all these bogus companies, all these shell organizations, fund all these front men like Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, and then they use them to pass out cash to different universities, to other private companies. This is what it's all about, folks. We went into depth on this with uh, CIA and InQtel. Admittedly, they're in 500 companies in Silicon Valley. Admittedly. From startup rounds to late investments to they come in and they strong arm people. So the CIA is admittedly involved with 500 companies in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is the CIA, okay? Pretty simple. Pretty simple stuff. And, uh, you know, all these guys who are getting in bed with the government and putting investment dollars into companies where the government's involved. I mean, they're extensions of the state. It's one big umbrella. Goes on to say here, now the people who volunteered for these experiments and began taking LSD in many cases found it very pleasurable. They told their friends about it. Who were those people? Ken Kesey, the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, got his LSD in an experiment sponsored by the CIA by MKUltra, by Sidney Gottlieb. So did Robert Hunter, the lyricist for The Grateful Dead, which went on to become a great purveyor of LSD culture. Allen Ginsberg, the poet who preached the value of the great personal adventure of using LSD, got his first LSD from Sidney Gottlieb. Although, of course, 
He never knew that name, right? So we're supposed to believe none of these people knew the name of Sidney Gottlieb, but they were all getting the LSD through various experiments being run by the CIA using bogus foundations and companies and front organizations. You see how this works, folks? This is sick, sick stuff. This is the government. This is the state. The state, who we are not supposed to believe, is working to engineer humanity out of existence. Goes on to say, so the CIA brought LSD to America unwittingly. Yeah, right. Unwittingly. And actually, it's a tremendous irony that the drug that the CIA hoped would be its key to controlling humanity actually wound up fueling a generational rebellion that was dedicated to destroying everything that the CIA held dear and defended. I will debate on that topic. I do not find that to be true in any way whatsoever. I believe the CIA spread it around and they created exactly what they wanted to create out of it. They did not form a unwitting, they did not unwittingly help form a rebellion against what the CIA held dear and near. No way, folks. Look where we are today. We've only advanced into total craziness where people are willing to get on board with Elon Musk's Optimus robot put a brain chip in their head, get genetic modification, grow their baby in a synthetic womb, and hop on board the technocratic transhumanist train. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. Join us over there, folks. It's a great community. The CIA, the Citizens Intelligence Agency. That's what I like to call it over there, because people are just passing intelligence back and forth, folks. It's a fantastic platform, a great community of people. All right, let me pull this right back up. I don't have a lot of time to waste today, folks, because I decided I was going to cram all this into one show. This uh, NPR article goes on to say, this is, um, and this will make sense to you in a moment, folks. I'm just showing you what our government's doing. And when you put this into context with what is going on today, you're able to really understand where the current programs, where the current mindset came from. Goes on to say on how MKUltra experimented on prisoners, including crime boss Whitey Bolger. You guys know who Whitey Bolger is. I don't want to go into a long tangent about Whitey Bolger, but he was pretty famous, disappeared for a number of years. Okay, and then they found him, what was it, five, six years ago or something? Tied into uh, to uh, Durham, Durham, everybody's favorite Durham, the guy that was going to take down the deep state. Yeah, there's ties back to Durham and uh, some of the other folks involved with Russiagate. Anyway, it says Whitey Bulger was one of the prisoners who volunteered for what he was told was an experiment aimed at finding a cure for schizophrenia. All right. As part of this experiment, he was given LSD every day for more than a year. 
This is while he was in prison, folks. He later realized that this had nothing to do with schizophrenia, and he was a guinea pig in a government experiment aimed at seeing what people's long-term reactions to LSD was. Or so, that's what he believed they were doing. Essentially, could we make a person lose his mind by feeding him LSD every day over such a long period? This is the government, folks. This is Sidney Gottlieb working for the CIA, working for the government, all right? With money from the government, funding, a paycheck, a pension, health care, you name it. This is what he was getting paid to do. So Bolger wrote afterward about his experiences, which he described as quite horrific. He thought he was going insane. He wrote, quote, I was in prison for committing a crime, but they committed a greater crime on me, end quote. And towards the end of his life, Bolger came to realize the truth, what had happened to him, and he actually told his friends that he was going to find the doctor in Atlanta, who was the head of that experiment program in the penitentiary, and go kill him. Okay, which that doctor later died of natural causes, folks. So that did not happen. But you see, you see what our government does? And that we're supposed to believe the current iteration of these programs, the Cyborg Soldier, DARPA's Brain Initiative, that's all kosher, folks. That's all kosher. Everything that Sidney Gottlieb was doing was wrong, but everything we're doing today is just okay, folks. It's just about building Cyborg Soldiers to fight Vladimir Putin in the mountains out in the scraggly woods all right this goes on now there's a section on the cia hiring nazi doctors and japanese torturers to learn methods the cia mind control project mk ultra was essentially a continuation of work that began in japan and nazi concentration camps okay and this is true and I have researched this in depth. And as I said, MKUltra grew out of the uh, Operation Paperclip. Not only was it roughly based on those experiments, but the CIA actually hired the vivisectionists and the torturers who had worked in Japan and in Nazi concentration camps to come and explain what they had found out so that we could build on their research. What did I bring up to you yesterday, folks? We propagandized the entire country. Some would say we mind-controlled them. And this is before everyone was on LSD. We brainwashed them. We propagandized them. We need you to sacrifice. We are going to war. World War II. All the men leave the factories. All the women go to work. That later created a lot of problems through the fake feminist movement, but we won't get into that today. And so we send all the boys off to war, right? to go fight the monsters they're trying to build a super race they're trying to kill all the jews and so the whole country sacrifices everyone sacrifices to go over there and take out the monsters only to find out later at least through the official narrative at least through what's been put out in the public that we were then going to hire the japanese and nazi torturers to come and explain what they had found out so that we could build on their research. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. This is the United States, folks. And these, they would never, they would never put a dirty needle in your arm. They would never jab you up with nanobots. They would never give you some sort of stem cell injection that's going to kill you. No, 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 no. What's the worst thing they ever did? They hired Nazis and Japanese torturers to come and teach us about what they found out in the concentration camps where they tortured people. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. The United States government loves us, folks. They're just here to support and defend the Constitution of the United States from enemies foreign and domestic, don't you know? They're just here to be representatives of the people here in this so-called constitutional republic. Come on, folks. Goes on to say, for example, Nazi doctors had conducted extensive experiments with mescaline at the Dachau concentration camp, and the CIA was very interested in figuring out whether mescaline could be the key to mind control. That was one of their big avenues of investigation. So they hired the Nazi doctors who had been involved in that project to advise them. Oh, yeah. Definitely. This is about love, folks. Love and security. Do you want the people that are willing to partner with the Nazis that they just talked you into going to war with looking out for your security? So they're going to go take out the monster Nazis, take their technology, hire them, bring them back here, have them train our scientists and engineers on how to run mind control experiments on people. Yes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. These are the kind of people I'd hire to protect me because I would never believe they're going to turn on me and use it on me. I would never believe that 70 years later they were going to launch a cyborg soldier program or a brain initiative out of DARPA to experiment on now mind controlling us through the use of a robot. No, 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 folks. They love us. It says another thing the Nazis provided was information about poison gases like sarin, which is still being used. Nazi doctors came to America to Fort Detrick in Maryland, that's about a mile from me, which was the center of this project, to lecture to CIA officers to tell them how long it took for people to die from sarin. All right, I know quite a few people who have worked at Fort Detrick. When you live in this area, Pretty much every other person you meet has worked on Fort Detrick in one way or another. So there's a lot of lot of history here. All right, the next section on the more extreme experiments Gottlieb conducted overseas. Gottlieb and the CIA established secret detention centers throughout Europe and East Asia, particularly in Japan. Germany and the Philippines, which were largely under American control in the period of the early 1950s, and therefore Gottlieb didn't have to worry about any legal entanglements in these places. Folks, they take Gottlieb, our version of the Nazi torturer, who's now been trained by the Nazis and the Japanese, and they set up a series of secret detention centers for him throughout Europe and East Asia where he could run torture experiments on people without the legal entanglements over here in the United States. But this is a good guy, folks. This is a good guy because he works for Team America. 
And in the meantime, back at home, they're buying up all the LSD in the world, setting up shell companies, bogus foundations, funneling the drugs, the psychedelics out to the universities and running illegal experiments on people. Oh, yeah. This is just one blemish in the history of America, folks. One blemish. No, the new mind control programs are different, folks. They're different. We do those on unsuspecting amputees that come home from the field of battle. Come on. All right, it goes on to say, CIA officers in Europe and Asia were capturing enemy agents and others who they felt might be suspected persons or were otherwise what they called expendable, meaning they could kill them. They could kill them. They would grab these people and throw them into cells and then test all kinds of not just drug potions, but other techniques like electroshock, extremes of temperature, sensory isolation, all the meantime bombarding them with questions, trying to see if they could break down resistance and find a way to destroy the human ego. Give me one second. I'll comment on this. Let me finish this paragraph. So these were projects designed not only to understand the human mind, but to figure out how to destroy it. And that made Gottlieb, although in some ways a very compassionate person, certainly the most prolific torturer of his generation. A very compassionate person. Not these, these projects were designed not only to understand the human mind, but to figure out how to destroy it. And that made Gottlieb, although in some ways a very compassionate person, Certainly the most prolific torturer of his generation. I I don't see where he would be compassionate at all. But let me just say, okay, so when I was in Poland a couple of months ago, I go to Auschwitz concentration camp. I stand on the train tracks. While I'm there, I start rereading my history. I didn't really study that stuff since high school. And so I'm reading about, uh, you know, Auschwitz was this army barracks controlled by Poland, and then the Nazis get a hold of it, and the next thing you know, they put Polish political dissidents in there, they're throwing Soviet prisoners of war in there, and the next thing you know, they start torturing these people, and then they come up with the idea to move Jews into there and torture and kill them, and they're killing all kinds of people in there, Poles and Russians and a mix of everybody else there from Europe, and then eventually Jews, and so this is the image that is out there today right then when we talk about the holocaust we talk about the concentration camps and this is the image this is the image that uh that still lives in the mind today and yet sydney gottlieb with the united states with the cia with the government is running lsd mind control experiments through bogus companies in partnership with universities here in the United States, and then setting up secret detention centers to torture people that they consider to be expendable, that they could kill in their torture experiments, their mind control experiments. What is the difference between Dr. Gottlieb and the doctors of death that were running Auschwitz and the other concentration camps. None whatsoever. Zero. 
Zero. There is no difference. And yet the United States wants to try to stand on some moral high ground. While they're still running these experiments, we will show you when we get back. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for some mind control experiments. I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. And you are listening to pain.tv slash gold, folks. You know what the crazy part was? This guy, Gottlieb. Jewish ancestry, folks. There's some information out there. I won't get into it today. But you ask yourself, how does this man go and do the very things that were supposedly being done to his own people, to his own peeps, folks. Like Yuval Noah Harari and Henry Kissinger and George Soros. It just baffles my mind, folks. Baffles my mind. All right. Let's continue with this. I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to show you where this links up with what we're doing here. This section on how these experiments were unsupervised. Gottlieb operated almost completely without supervision. Now this, I don't buy it. All right. They're giving him money. They're letting him buy up all the LSD. They're helping him set up bogus foundations. He obviously did not do that himself. They are setting him up overseas with these uh, secret detention centers that were torture sites in various countries across Europe and Asia and uh, obviously funded and he's running mind control experiments and bringing in drugs and then distributing the drugs across the country and then they want us to believe that this was without supervision see then he's just a fall guy he's just a patsy right no 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 the state does not get off on this folks This stuff was done in our names. It's still being done today. I mean, when you see that the government gave him the money to buy the world supply LSD, and now you see the government in partnership with its front men like Peter Thiel about ready to legalize psychedelics, experimenting on the veterans and everything. What's the difference, folks? That means it's still going on. The government is still behind it. All right, it says Gottlieb operated almost completely without supervision. We had sort of a checkoff from his titular boss and from his real boss, Richard Helms, and from the CIA director, Alan Dulles. All right, but none of them really wanted to know what he was doing. Oh, no, they, they didn't want to know anything, folks. No, 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 you just fund him and let him run around and do his own thing. He's like, I got to go overseas to set up secret torture sites. They go, oh, no, 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 sir. We don't want to know what you're doing. Wow. Goes on. This guy had a license to kill. He was allowed to 
requisition human subjects across the United States and around the world and subject them to any kind of abuse that he wanted, even up to the level of it being fatal. Killing them, folks. Yet nobody looked over his shoulder. Right. Okay, sure. It says Gottlieb never had to file serious reports to anybody. I think the mentality must have been that this project is so important, mind control, if it can be mastered, is the key to global world power. Now, I will say this. Do I believe that the people above him that were funding him and allowing him to do this believe that mind control, if mastered, was the key to global power? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure they thought that. Do I believe that this guy was completely um, unsupervised and he could do whatever he wanted? No, no, because they needed to know that he was doing what needed to be done to get this mastered and to give them the key to global world power. So Alan Dulles and the boys don't get off on this one, folks. This is the state goes on to say, and how Gottlieb destroyed evidence about his experiments when he left the CIA. The end of Gottlieb's career came in 1973 when his patron, Richard Helms, who was the director of the CIA, remember he came up uh, during paperclip, folks, right? Uh, Was removed by President Nixon. Once Helms was gone, it was just a matter of time until Gottlieb would be gone. And most important was that Helms was really the only person at the CIA who had an idea of what Gottlieb had been doing. Now, if I can get Ashton Gray on, I mentioned him yesterday, he can talk in depth about this. I'd love to know his theory on this, that Nixon was actually against MKUltra, worked to shut it down, and that's why they... Uh, apparently framed him and got him thrown out of office. I was not a crook, no. Uh, but I didn't like uh, MK Ultra. All right, it goes on to say, so as they were both on their way out of the CIA, they agreed that they should destroy all records of MK Ultra. Gottlieb actually drove out to the CIA Records Center and ordered the archives to destroy boxes full of MK Ultra records. However, it turns out that there were some records found in other places. There was a depot for expense account reports that had not been destroyed and various other pieces of paper remain. So there is enough out there to reconstruct some of what he did, but his effort to wipe away his traces by destroying all those documents in the early 70s was quite successful. See, so he was operating in secret. This is the official narrative. He was operating in secret. Nobody really wanted to know what was going on. He destroyed the boxes of records, but we found a few boxes that we could reconstruct uh, at least part of what he was doing. That's the narrative, folks. Like I said, I I don't have the ability to dig a tunnel underground, sneak into Fort Detrick, and get some documents that the world had never seen. But I can take this stuff that we do have access to, and there's a lot more than this. This is just, again, broad strokes here. Uh, We can take this, and we can then tie it into other pieces of information that we have and basically show you how this program, in my mind, in my opinion, never actually ended. All right, so let me show you this. 
This is at uh, ir.library.louisville.edu. And this here says Project MK Ultra, a site of forgotten calamity. And so I'm actually going to get into this later, but I just want to show you. It says Project MKUltra refers to a set of top secret CIA experiments that took place from 1953 to 1970 and involved unwitting subjects being administered drugs and hypnosis. All right. And as we know, folks, as we know, it was about mind control, right? They believed if they could master mind control, they could take over the global world power. Now, we are supposed to believe, let me make this clear, we are supposed to believe, if you look at the mainstream narrative, that, and I'm going to go back to yesterday, that World War II's wrapping up. We helped defeat the Nazis with our allies, Okay. We already had an agreement on how Germany was going to be split up. So the Soviets got a piece, the uh, French got a piece, the British got a piece, we got a piece. And so all of a sudden, we go, wait a second, the Soviets might start hiring these Nazi scientists and engineers to help them develop weaponry and run Frankenstein technology. So we, the United States, the good guys, Team Freedom over here, we have to hire the Nazi scientists first. Boom, we launch Operation Paperclip. We start bringing scientists and engineers, Nazis, high-ranking Nazis, back to the United States and embed them into government agencies and departments within those agencies. At the same time, we start employing a number of these Nazis over in Europe to work as spies for us against the Soviet commies. And then we end up bringing them back in and retiring them here in the United States. While this is happening, Sidney Gottlieb, a Jewish gentleman, launches MKUltra under the CIA And he hires Nazis and Japanese torturers to come and train him on torture mechanisms, mind control, and using biochemical weapons to kill people. While that's happening, he buys up all of the world's supply of the LSD with the government's permission and spreads it unwittingly folks unwittingly around the country launching this anti-establishment counterculture he at the same time sets up a number of bogus foundations funnels the lsd into the universities hospitals and prisons and asks those people those fine folks to run experiments on mind control While that's going on, he sets up a series of secret torture chambers over in Europe and in Asia and literally tortures people to death. But don't worry, because those people were deemed to be expendable. Now, as far as we are supposed to believe, this took place between 1953 and 1973. Okay, so the beginning date of this, um, 
1953 is shortly after, within five years, of us beginning to bring the Nazi scientists and engineers over to the United States. Totally makes sense. So one of the things we obviously learned from those scientists and engineers was about LSD and mind control. So old Sydney there gets put in charge of running this program. But don't worry, folks. Don't worry, because the government had labeled certain people expendable, almost like the Nazis calling the Jews subhuman, subhuman mongrels and cockroaches and such, and they were expendable. They could run experiments on them. They could torture them to death. Well, now our CIA, through a Jewish fella named Sidney Gottlieb, is given permission to start picking and choosing who's expendable while our government runs torture programs using these people, mind control programs, trying to break their mind and replace it with another mind while also testing biochemical weapons. But don't worry, they would never do that to you. They would never label label you expendable as Yuval Noah Harari, the king philosopher of the World Economic Forum, has said you are useless humans, they would never, ever label you expendable and put a jab into your arm that has something in there that maybe they're trying to kill you. Maybe they're running an experiment on you. Maybe they are testing nanobots on you to see how it goes before they put them into their own body. Don't worry about it, folks. The United States is good, and Sidney Gottlieb is a patriot who was just looking out for America. Ladies and gentlemen, when we get back, I'll tie this in to the Cyborg Soldier program. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.TV. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Ping.TV slash gold. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, folks. And we are connecting the dots here. Bringing you from Operation Paperclip right up to the Cyborg Soldier Program. So let me just remake that point. Not the long timeline I just gave you, but the point about, uh, again, we're over at ir.library.louisville.edu. But just right here where it says, the top secret CIA experiments that took place from 1953 to 1973. All right. So... 53 to 73, Gottlieb is running around doing these torture experiments, MK Ultra mind control. All right. Now, let me just show you. This is just interesting. So it says it starts in 1953. And we'll go down this road eventually when we get into depth on this stuff. But we have right here DARPA was founded in 1958. Now, have I looked into whether or not DARPA being founded in 1958 connects it all to Sidney Gottlieb's MK Ultra? No, 
No, I haven't. I'm starting to work on this, but I just want to show you how my brain works here. So I go, okay, Gottlieb starts in 53 with the mind control experiment stuff, which we obviously got the information from the Operation Paperclip Nazis. And then it's admitted to that uh, Gottlieb brings the Nazis and the Japanese torturers in to teach him about how they tortured people and how they killed them. So we look at 1958, DARPA starts, okay? Now, we're going to just go right over here to the DARPA website. I've showed you this before, but this is DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So I'm at DARPA.mil, that's military, DARPA.mil. And this is the DARPA, uh, DARPA and the Brain Initiative. We talked about this before. Okay, I gave you an introduction to the Brain Initiative, and I owe you a deep dive. But I just want to show you something. The White House announced the Brain Initiative in April 2013. Today, the initiative is supported by several federal agencies, as well as dozens of technology firms, academics, institutions, scientists, and other key contributors to the field of neuroscience. DARPA is supporting the Brain Initiative through a number of programs, continuing a legacy of DARPA investment in neurotechnology that extends back to the 1970s. Okay, so what do we have? We have this MKUltra taking place from 53 to 73. We have DARPA being founded in 58, and then we have DARPA themselves admitting that the precursor to the Brain Initiative, right, which is an investment in neurotechnology, extends back to the 1970s. And so they have a link here on the DARPA website. It says, a Legacy of DARPA Investment in Neurotechnology. You click the link, and then it brings you over to this website, sciencedirect.com. And it says here, DARPA-funded efforts in the development of novel brain-computer interface technologies. Right? That's the brain chip going into the head, or the... Uh, transcranial electronic stimulation helmet that Dr. Charles Morgan III talked about, or that DARPA's developing under a program called N3. But so DARPA, the military, links to this abstract here, which says the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency has funded innovative scientific research and technology developments in the field of brain-computer interfaces since the 1970s. Goes into depth on this. We're not going to do this today. But I'm showing you here, MKUltra was 73 to 53, or I'm sorry, 53 to 73. Then you had DARPA launching in 1958. And then you have DARPA admitting that they were investing in this uh, neurotechnology into developments in the field of brain-computer interfaces going all the way back to the 70s, which overlaps with MKUltra. Now, I've shown you this article before. But I'm pulling this back up because this fits in now. Remember, when we're listening to doctors Peter Emanuel and Diane Dulius that we're about to get back to next segment, the cyborg soldier program that they're talking about, those are all the technologies 
that are coming out of DARPA and the Brain Initiative. That all ties together. All this brain-computer interface stuff is all connected back to the DARPA Brain Initiative. So let me just show you. This is from LiveScience.com. And the article was written in May 2019 by Ed Gent. And it is, the government is serious about creating mind-controlled weapons. And I skimmed this for you, but I just want to reread this for you. See, this is what happens when you do all this research. You could start to put all the pieces together. And we don't need access to the uh, Sidney Gottlieb files. We just read what they put out publicly and then connect all the pieces together, which nobody does anymore. It says right here, DARPA... The Department of Defense's research arm is paying scientists to invent ways to instantly read soldiers' minds using tools like genetic engineering in the human brain, nanotechnology, and infrared beams. A lot of stuff that we covered here, okay? The end goal, thought-controlled weapons like swarms of drones that someone sends to the skies with a single thought or the ability to beam images from one brain to another. Now, we are being told in part, that it's about being able to control swarms of drones. But how do we know that's even true? I mean, we've reviewed it here, but like I said, we can only go off of what they say is the official narrative. But how do we know that's not fake? We know that Sidney Gottlieb, right, or at least we're supposed to believe, was running around using bogus institutions to get hospitals and prisons and universities to test LSD on people. So we do know that they are building these brain interfaces and trying to popularize it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be sending Elon Musk out on stage like Iron Man. All right, it goes on to say, this week, DARPA announced that six teams, again, this is 2019, that six teams will receive funding under the next generation non-surgical neurotechnology program. Participants are tasked with developing technology that will provide a two-way channel for rapid and seamless communication between the human brain and machines without requiring surgery. So, folks, when we're listening to Dr. Peter Emanuel talk about the revolutionary moment where the human and the machine can communicate at a cellular level, this is what he's referring to, folks. This is what he's talking about. This is the next generation non-surgical neurotechnology N3 program. And remember, I'm going to go back to DARPA because I highlighted this a few shows ago, and it's right here on DARPA's website under the Brain Initiative, the next generation non-surgical neurotechnology N3 or N-cubed program. I call it N-cube. It's got the N and the little cube three. And that's basically the transcranial electronic stimulation device that we watched in the presentation by Dr. Charles Morgan III that he gave to the West Point Academy cadets and faculty. But I'll just read from DARPA's site for a moment. It says, the NQ program aims to develop a safe, portable neural interface system capable of reading from and writing to multiple points in the brain at once. Whereas the most advanced existing neurotechnology requires surgical implantation of electrodes and cubed is pursuing high resolution technology that works without the requirement for surgery so that it can be used by able-bodied people. Let me just say that one more time in case you didn't hear it. All right. It's they're looking to have this portable interface 
that is capable of reading and writing to multiple points in the brain. And that is what Dr. Peter Emanuel talked about at the Left of Boom podcast, where they can read and write, upload, download, input, output, back and forth to the brain, folks. Some would call that mind control. I don't know. Maybe. All right. Let's jump back over to the life science piece. It says... Quote, imagine someone who's operating a drone or someone who might be analyzing a lot of data, end quote, said Jacob Robinson, an assistant professor of bioengineering at Rice University who is leading one of the teams for DARPA. There's this latency where if I want to communicate with my machine, I have to send a signal from my brain to move my fingers or move my mouth to make a verbal command. And this limits the speed at which I can interact with either a cyber system or physical system. So the thought is maybe we can improve that speed of interaction. And that's what Elon Musk said in layman's terms on Joe Rogan experience when he said that the limitation now between the connection of man and machine to form the full cyborg is that your thumbs can only type so fast or you can only speak so quickly to Siri or to Alexa or whatever. And so that's why they want to put a brain chip in your head so you can talk faster to the computer. Folks, this is merger, man and machine, singularity, transhumanism. That's what this is, okay? That's what this is. It's not so you can type faster to your freaking computer. You can cut it from three seconds to a half a second. I mean, that's not why they're doing this. You do know that, right? It goes on to say that could be crucial as smart machines and a tidal wave of data threaten to overwhelm humans and could ultimately find applications in both military and civilian domains, right? Now, I'm going to read a little more from this article, and this is important. It's important because it ties everything together, folks. Advancing mind control. While there have been breakthroughs in our ability to read and even write information to the brain, these advances have generally relied on brain implants in patients, allowing physicians to monitor conditions like epilepsy. Brain surgery is too risky to justify such interfaces in able-bodied people, however, and current, current external brain monitoring approaches like electroencephalography, EEG, in which electrodes are attached directly to the scalp, are too inaccurate. As such, DARPA is trying to spur a breakthrough in non-invasive or minimally invasive brain surgery interfaces. Okay, so what they're talking about there is instead of, say, going the musk route of drilling a hole in the back of your skull, they want to be able to put a helmet on your head or do a minimally invasive surgery, like maybe only implant the chip so far into your head. That way, more people would be willing to use this stuff, or they could just strap you down and pop it onto your head without having to do the whole surgery. But don't worry, because Musk is in charge with his woke robot of figuring out how to speed up the surgery process. 
It goes on to say the agency is interested in systems that can read and write to 16 independent locations in a chunk of brain the size of a pea with a lag of no more than 50 milliseconds within four years, said Robinson, who is under no illusion about the scale of the challenge. Quote, when you try to capture brain activity through the skull, it's hard to know where the signals are coming from and when and where the signals are being generated, end quote, he told Live Science. All right, are, are you understanding where we're going with this, folks? I mean, what we're reading that they're doing today, does it not sound a lot like the Nazi experiments and drugging people up with LSD and torturing them like Gottlieb was doing? Quote, so the big challenge is, can we push the absolute limits of our resolution both in space and in time ladies and gentlemen in time i will be right back think about this stuff absorb it i'm going to make the point when we get back for the break and then we're going into dr peter emmanuel so we can wrap up with the left boom podcast ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard and i will be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. And I, I am Dustin Gold, folks. Wow. Wow, I am blowing my own mind, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know, is this stuff like crazy or what, folks? I mean, seriously, this is some uh, next level stuff we're getting into. All right, let me read you this next part because it's very important. And we'll tie all this together with a nice little bow. This is a piece in this article called Genetically Tweaking Human Brains. So we just got done talking about how they have the invasive surgery with the brain-computer interface. They could drill a hole in your skull, uh, tear open the lining covering your brain, and then push these 1,000 electrodes down into your brain with 1,024, I mean 1,000 wires down into your brain with 1,024 electrodes on each one like the Neuralink brain chip that Elon Musk is doing. You know, or they can do a less invasive surgery, uh, or they want to build this transcranial electronic stimulation helmet, this N-cubed helmet that they just pop onto your brain. But how are they going to do this, folks? How are they going to work their way through reading these signals coming through the skull, you know, without tapping into your head with the brain chip? Well, it says here, don't worry, because don't you think that the old doctors here these folks working for DARPA, these Dr. Frankensteins, don't you ever think that they haven't figured this out, folks? Trying to pull up the name. Okay, Jacob Robinson, okay, assistant professor of bioengineering at Rice University, who's working at DARPA. So uh, what does Robinson say? Robinson's team plans to use viruses modified to deliver genetic material into cells called viral vectors to insert DNA 
into specific neurons that will make them produce two kinds of proteins. The first type of protein absorbs light when a neuron is firing, which makes it possible to to detect neural activity. An external headset would send out a beam of infrared light that can pass through the skull and into the brain. Detectors attached to the headset would then measure the tiny signal that is reflected from the brain tissue to create an image of the brain. Because of the protein, the targeted areas will appear darker, absorbing light when neurons are firing generating a read of brain activity that can be used to work out what the person is seeing, hearing, or trying to do. We call that mind reading, I believe. (laughs) And we're going to get more into this stuff, folks. Don't worry. Goes on to say, the second protein tethers to magnetic nanoparticles. Nanoparticles. So the neurons can be magnetically stimulated to fire when the headset generates a magnetic field. This could be used to stimulate neurons so as to induce an image or sound in the patient's mind. As a proof of concept, the group plans to use the system to transmit images from the visual cortex of one person to that of another. Quote, being able to decode or encode sensory experiences is something we understand relatively well. At the bleeding edge of science, I think we are there if we had the technology to do it, Robinson said. All right, folks, do you understand this? Do you understand what they're talking about now so they want to put a helmet on your head and then they're going to use viruses that are modified to deliver genetic material into your cells called viral vectors to insert dna into specific neurons that will make them produce two kinds of proteins this is like all like inside your head while they have a helmet that's going to read your mind I mean, like that stuff there, if I pulled this up and read it to you and told you that this was leaked from the Operation Paperclip files, we found out that the Nazis and the Japanese were running these experiments on people, you go, wow, they were crazy. Folks, this is what we're doing today. Actually, this is what we were doing a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. So you have to say to yourself, if... Operation Paperclip kicks off MKUltra, and MKUltra mind control under Dr. Gottlieb runs from 1953 to 1973, but five years into that, DARPA was founded in 1958, and then going back to 1970, DARPA starts investing in this neurotechnology and brain-computer interfaces, then MKUltra supposedly ends in 1973, But DARPA picks up right where they left off, running these mind control experiments, this neurotechnology, this brain-computer interface stuff, and it fast-forwards all the way up to launching the full-blown brain initiative, 
with all of these different experiments going on, I have it back up on the screen, elect, uh, electrical prescriptions, hand uh proprietation and touch interfaces neural engineering system design neural function activity and structure and technology next generation non-surgical neurotechnology reliable neural interface technology restoring active memory restoring active memory revolutionizing prosthetics systems-based neurotechnology for emerging therapies targeted neuroplasticity training all these things launched now under the brain initiative all around hacking the mind all around mind control which then leads us these programs into the cyborg soldier 2050 paper that we're currently reviewing in which they want to use genetic modification coupled with the brain hacking coupled with bionic exoskeletons and bionic arms to create these cyborg soldiers that then we started to get into dr peter emmanuel getting to the point where they're saying well it's not going to be fair for the soldiers to have it we'll offer this transhumanist technology to everyone you see this folks paperclip leads to mk ultra leads to darpa leads to investment in brain computer interface leads to brain initiative leads to cyborg soldiers leads to everyone in the civilian population being offered the ability to turn into a transhuman freak the end the engineering of humanity out of existence it all ties together everything is connected everything is connected these are not just these oh dr gottlieb was running mk ultra nobody was overseeing what he was doing he was just running around with a with a blank check just setting up torture chambers over in europe and asia he was just setting up all kinds of dummy foundations and funneling money to universities and prisons to run experiments on people unwittingly he was just allowed to call people expendable and kill them in his torture experiments Folks, the MK Ultra was the kickoff, was the kickoff to get to DARPA, to get to the Brain Initiative, and to get to the Cyborg Soldiers. And if we went back before Paperclip, and we get into, which we're going to do eventually, the history of the concept of technocracy and transhumanism and cybernetics and the rest of this stuff, it even predates that which sometimes makes me believe, <coughs> excuse me, did we go to war with the Nazis to steal their technology? Did we go to war with the Soviets to take their technology? Because we wanted a monopoly on transhumanism. If anyone was going to be in charge of genociding the entire human race, it was going to be us. No one would outdo us. We'll be the first to the moon and the first to kill all men. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, and one giant jab in the arm for everyone else. I mean, think about it. It all connects. It all fits so perfectly. This stuff never ended. It's continuing. It's alive and well. And the state sponsors it all. Through the money they hand out, through their cutouts, their puppets, their frauds, People like Musk and Peter Thiel 
to the universities, to all these fake private sector, fake private sector Silicon Valley tech companies that are just, just running around with bags of cash from the CIA. And then we are told that, that this is just capitalism, folks. This is the free market. It's a free market. They all work for the state. They all work for the state. And you have to ask yourself how this guy Gottlieb is any different than the Nazis that we were supposedly going over to stop from doing the very things that our own government signed off on and allowed Sidney Gottlieb to do, folks. Mind control experiments never ended. Never ended. MKUltra never ended. MKUltra is alive and well. It's just called Cyborg Soldier 2050 now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we mean, we, 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 uh, excuse me. I am worked up, folks. Wow, that was crazy. When we get back, we're going to jump right into Dr. Peter Emanuel and Dr. Diane Dulius, and we're going to finish that up today over the next three segments. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard, folks. All right, that was good. That was important because I wanted to make that connection for you. Um, because we had jumped over and started to cover Operation Paperclip and MK Ultra yesterday. To kind of give you a foundation for the discussions coming next week. And so that was good. Now we've connected Paperclip in with MK Ultra, in with DARPA, in with Brain Initiative, and then brings us up to the cyborg soldier, folks. The mind control experiments never ended. So when Gottlieb brought the Nazis and the Japanese torturers over here to teach him how to uh, properly torture people and mind control them. That technology is now being used today on our military men and women. So how do you like them apples, folks? How do you like them apples? Very nice. What a wonderful government we have, folks. All right, let's jump into this uh, left of boom. Now, if you remember... This is over at military.com, and we are listening uh, to uh, the future of Bioenhanced Super Soldiers Part 1, featuring doctors uh, Peter Emanuel, who we have up here. He's the Senior Research Scientist for Bioengineering at the United States Army Combat Capabilities Development Command Chemical Biological Center. Ugh. Wow. I feel like I just ran a marathon. And then uh, Dr. Diane Duulius, who is a senior research fellow at National Defense University. Her research areas focus on emerging biological technologies, biodefense, and preparedness for bio threats. So 
prepare yourself against those bio threats. I think these Dr. Frankensteins are in fact the bio threats, but you know, I guess they would probably not agree with that. They are patriots. They are fighting for the end of mankind, which is just patriotism, folks. All right, let's pick this back up. I rolled it back 30 seconds from where we uh, ended on the last show. Population then integrate into the overall general force. And then how do those people then separate and reintegrate into the society at large? And so some of the conversations were very obvious, like I told you, but then we started to have some questions like, what if they're like, no, I don't want to, I want my brain interface. It's inside my head. And then that person five years later goes to the Bellagio Hotel in Las Vegas and wants to go into the Blackjack area. (laughs) I'm sorry, sir. Okay, so this is the part we were talking about when we ended with this last time. What he is referring to here is that a soldier goes and gets the brain interface and let's say it gives him superpowers And now he could go, as he says, to Bellagio and play blackjack, and he wins. And so how is the civilian population going to accept him when he comes home? Because they say, wait a minute there, uh, Captain America. Hold your horses there, Incredible Hulk. Oh, calm down, Wolverine. And so this is the question. So how are they going to now meld this person back into society let's continue talk about card counting they you know yes i mean how does that work last time i went to buy a car they're like i don't know i need to go back in the manager and see if that offer will work and he comes back he's like my manager said he's like i heard everything your manager said how do you do that yeah i think peter that's that's right and um while you were talking, I was also thinking about when you were you were saying if there's somebody in a unit that's um, got the the brain machine interface enhancement, think about the level of trust that goes that goes along with that, right? Because we know we're using technology every day on a daily basis, you know. So so I've got my cell phone here, and I want to figure out how to go somewhere, or I want to look at what's the traffic between here and there, and how long is it going to take me, and all that kind of stuff. But this is still an extant piece of technology, right? I can look at this and I can I can determine how much I trust this thing's ability to get me where I need to go and to tell me what the world is like out there when I go there. Now imagine if it's someone, a person, who's providing that information to me because they're receiving that information in their brain and conveying it to the rest of a military unit. Okay, so what she's talking about here, you obviously could hear that. That was pretty easy to pick up but she's saying right now you pull out your phone you pull up google maps you look where you're going right but now you're in a unit let's say you're driving in a car let's just look at it in in uh you know in terms of your life not military you're driving a car with your spouse and uh another couple and you're going out to dinner or something i don't know and so now the spouse of the your friend, right? So this woman, she's got a brain chip in her head and she's sitting in the back seat and she could just pull up Google Maps inside of her head. And so she'll say, turn left up here, turn right over there, turn left over here, turn right over there, take another right, 
take a left. How do you trust that person uh, as your leader that they're basically a walking smartphone? All right, let's continue. Imagine the level of trust that has to happen in that context. It's not an extant piece of, of technology that I look at the information and I decide for myself. It's essentially a person who is absorbing the information and then telling me and telling the unit, here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going to go. Here's how it's going to happen. And it's all happening inside that person's brain. So it's a different way of it, that those other people are relying on technology that's being filtered through a human being at this point. So it's a very, it's a, as Peter said, I, we can't say it you know, enough. It's a game changer. It really is a game changer. And now put that in the context of we're working with another country's military, same thing. So they're getting information and technology that's filtered through our enhanced people. Um, and they have to trust that. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all about trust, folks. Oh, God, I don't know what would happen if I can't trust the uh, Incredible Hulk. Right. So this is part of what they're talking about. And you're going to see in the next piece in part two of this discussion with the two gentlemen from the ethics side of uh, don't worry, they've thought through all of this. They know how they're going to sell this to the American public. And so part of what they're going to do here is they're going to end up offering a solution to the problem, which is that everyone should readily be able to access this superpower. All right, let's continue. What does that look like? So I want to I actually piggyback on something Diane's saying, this word trust. So mm-hmm. one of the fir- what really started this whole study was an argument that we had. Me, that argument that you and I had? <laughs> How unusual. <laughs> it was a conversation. So, Listen to these two. These two psychopaths that work for the Army, writing a paper, Cyborg Soldier 2050, uh, co-authoring this with others like Dr. James Giordano, who we're going to get into um, pretty soon. I mean, they're just sitting there and laughing about this. This is funny to them. They're talking about hacking humanity, and it's just a joke. It's a joke. So ask yourself, what is the difference between doctors Peter Emanuel and Diane Dulius and Dr. Sidney Gottlieb? What's the difference? Honestly, what is the difference? They're both working towards mind-hacking humans. They're both working towards mind control of humans. I mean, what's the difference, folks? There is no difference. There is no difference. These are the Nazi scientists running around within our country now. All right, let's continue. It's fun, funny, I'm sure. <laughs> so the problem was is that the conversation that Diane and I had escalated to a whole room talking about, at the time, a Chinese researcher had genetically altered the embryo of an individual, which is an ethical red line. It's an ethical red line, folks. We talked about that guy before, too, the Chinese guy who had genetically modified uh, the children. And I told you the geneticist that I spoke to said that they were actually born with, like, non-human DNA. They were actually a new form of being. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff. But that's uh, what he's referring to there. And that's an ethical red line, folks. But forcibly giving people LSD, torturing them to death, 
you know, that the United States does, that does not cross an ethical line. And uh, building out the cyborg soldiers, genetically modifying people, growing babies in synthetic wombs, DNA splicing, putting brain chips inside their head, mind uploading, creating digital twins, and corralling people into a cyber metaverse. Not a red line. This stuff is accepted, folks. This is normalized at this point. But genetically modifying a baby, that crossed an ethical red line. All right, let's continue. And there had also been a previous study out of China that they had increased the muscle mass of a dog to make the super dog. And and there was a general line of, of discussion about the fact that some countries had ethical boundaries that the United States was unwilling to cross. And then we realized that we didn't really know whether it was the state-sponsored idea or whether it was just individuals. And, and then we asked ourselves, well, what, what is the willingness of a Western country or an Eastern country to adopt a, a cyborg? So we started to look out there and we found uh, one study inside only the United States that actually tackled that. It was by um, uh, the Pew Research Institute. And we... Okay, this is important, and I read a little bit uh, about this to you from the Cyborg Soldier 2050 document, which is up on the screen for the video audience over at pain.tv slash gold. And so don't worry, folks, because they've thought through this stuff. They have thought through this stuff. So what would be the willingness of Western society to accept the idea of superhuman cyborgs? Let's continue. We actually asked, we went and we visited Carrie Funk and she ran that study and they, uh, they interviewed like 4,726 individuals and they asked them, they're like, what do you think about technology and how scared are you and are you excited? And, and ultimately what they found was is that the majority of them were um, wary of these uh, breakthroughs and they were concerned about where the, these things were going and that that concern was tracked to some extent with their awareness of the technology and the more they knew about it, the less were likely they were to be concerned and also uh, tracked with their religious affiliations and um, the more religious people were, the more they tended to have ethical uh, boundaries. Okay, let's pause this for a second. Let's pause this for a second because there's a couple key points that he is making there. And I'm going to back this up so we could listen to that long-winded answer again. Let's replay that. Actually asked, we went and we visited Carrie Funk, and she ran that study. And they, uh, they interviewed like 4,726 individuals. Okay. So they interviewed about 5,000 people, all right, on this question about technology, the fear of the technology, the technology merging with uh, man, basically. All right, let's continue. And they asked them, they're like, what do you think about technology and how scared are you and are you excited? And, and ultimately what they found was is that the majority of them were um, wary of these uh, breakthroughs and they were concerned about where the, these things were going and that that concern was tracked to some extent with their awareness of the technology and the more they knew about it, the less were likely they were to be. Okay. The more they knew about the technology, the less concerned they were about it. Now, you have to ask yourself how that could be. If you take someone like myself, I would probably be in the top 
you know, one percentile of people in the United States with, you know, a fairly decent understanding of this type of technology, transhumanist Frankenstein technology. You, if you've been listening to my show, are also probably in the top one percentile. Uh, And I'm sure you've done your own research on this stuff. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be interested in what I'm talking about anyway. But so people like us that are very aware of this are against it. I would assume you are. I am definitely against this. So you'd say, well, how come their study says if people are aware of it, they are more likely to not fear it, more likely to go along with it. Think about that, folks. See if you can come up with an answer. When we get back, I'm going to address that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We are back right here on pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold, and this, folks, is the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to get back into this, but did you think about that question I asked before we went to break. How come people like you and I that are well aware of this stuff in the top one percentile of people in the United States with an understanding of transhumanism, of technocracy, of the prison planet, of the metaverse, of the Internet of Things, the Internet of Bodies, mind uploading, digital twins, and brain chips, (laughs) amongst other things, folks, amongst other things like synthetic wombs, DNA splicing, gene editing, cyber soldiers, brain interfaces, etc., etc., etc. But we are against this. We see this as a danger to the future of humanity itself. We see the technocratic transhumanists as having a purpose which is to engineer humanity out of existence, mass genocide against all humans. But they're saying in the study they did of roughly 4,700 people that the more aware people were of the technologies, the less afraid they were of them. And so I think the reason why that is, let's say the study is true, and we have no reason to believe it's fake. Let's just say it's true. It's true because it falls right into line of what I've warned you about over the last few episodes that is happening. There is a concerted effort, especially now, where the technology and the concepts are being normalized by having certain influencers that reach certain cross-sections of people certain actors and entertainers which are in turn influencers that reach certain types of people talking about this stuff but either one saying obviously that they agree with it it's great for humanity you know people like ray kurzweil deepak chopra they're obviously talking about the pluses but the ones that are saying that it's scary are just tying it to 
trying to make it seem like it's a couple of kooks behind it, like Elon Musk, not really telling you the full story, not connecting it to the state, not bringing it back to Operation Paperclip, not tying it into MKUltra, not tying it in, tying into the Nazis. And so what's happening is that people are becoming desensitized to it. So once you at least think you know a little bit about it, or if you got hit with it from Deepak Chopra, Richard Branson, or the rest of these kooks, you start to go, yeah, I don't think it's that dangerous. It's pretty cool, dude. I saw the deep fake of Tom Cruise. That's hilarious because you don't really have a full understanding of it. So that's where I think that comes from. Now, the second part that came out of this study that he's about to talk about, listen carefully to this one. Concern and also uh, tracked with their religious affiliations. And um, the more religious people were, the more they tended to have ethical uh, boundaries. The more religious people are, the more they tended to have ethical boundaries. Now, you can say whatever you want about religion, about organized religion, about the religious industrial complex. And I'm talking about all different sects of religion. Uh, obviously, I have my faults with certain religions, uh, you know, certain extreme versions, some of the views that come out of some of these religions. I don't get into a lot of that on this show. But I've also said that if you have a population that you're trying to control, or that you're trying to wipe off of the face of the earth and you remove the idea, just the idea, just the concept of a God or of a creator or of a mother nature even, and you remove that from the society, they are actually, in my mind, much easier to erase. See, you can use certain organized religions to control people using God. You know, if you don't do this or you don't do that, God will be upset. And we've seen that throughout history. But if you also totally, completely get rid of the idea of God as cultural Marxism, which I won't get into here, was uh, partially intended to do, created to do, was that when people no longer look to something being above them, higher than them, that they don't answer to, you know, a creator of everything, a creator of the earth, a creator of the natural world, then you can push people into the idea that one, like nothing really matters. As uh, Deepak Chopra talks about, it's all a nothingness. It's all a nothingness, you know, or two, you can push people towards a Levian Satanism type of situation where you get them to believe they are all gods and if they're all gods then they could go out and kill other people and they're not going to face any consequences so there's a balancing act we can talk to people that come out of philosophy on this um but to me once you remove the concept of god from society you're removing sort of traditional ethics and morals and values and principles and so then you can say to people, well, look, you're just a lump of cells. You're just nothingness. You are a God yourself, whatever it is, whatever line you need to use on that person. So what does it matter if we genetically modify you? 
What does it matter if we DNA splice you? What does it matter if you take this injection or we weld an exoskeleton suit to you? Or we merge you with machine? Or, you know, humans are just these stupid little creatures. You're just like cockroaches. So we have to merge you with artificial intelligence under the singularity. We'll upload your minds. You'll live inside a computer. You'll be in the metaverse because none of this really matters. See, you can introduce a lot of crazy things to people if you remove the idea of a creator from society. I mean, just look at it. Um, like I'm post politics, but look at it this way. If you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Basically under the, uh, you know, defining documents here in this country, you know, it, it comes from the creator, unalienable rights from the creator. So if you remove the idea of a creator, we don't have unalienable lights, rights, uh, amongst them, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you don't have your right to life. You don't have your right to liberty, human autonomy. You lose that. So just on the simple terms, if you take away the right to life, you know, if you take the creator out of there, you have no right to life. If you have no right to life, they can just kill you. And if you don't even believe that you come from a creator, then what are you? You're either just a lump of cells, your nothingness, your nothingness, nothingness, or you're just a, a god yourself. So merge me with machine and I will become God. See, this is the danger, folks. And it's summed up right in there with this study that these Frankenstein monsters did. All right, let's continue. And, and I think Diane talked about our interoperability with our NATO allies. And so from a military standpoint, um, if, we in, if we adopt an enhancement, but our NATO allies refuse to allow us to be interoperable with them to to move our troops through their areas, then that was something that the Department of Defense needed to be concerned with. Right. Um, oh, yeah. So the Department of Defense needed to be concerned with whether or not our allies would let us move our Marvel superheroes through their country to do whatever it is we do. I don't, do we have any defined uh, goals anymore, folks? Or we just go around the world and try to start wars? All right, let's continue. And the likely conversation, and I don't suggest that we go down this lane today, I think it's a whole conversation that, that you might want to pursue in and of itself is, how do you have a society in which some people are operating at a higher level all the time, and what does that imbalance in performance do to the dynamic between the two populations? Ah, ah, so there we go, Peter. There we go, Dr. Emmanuel. So the question, the discussion that needs to be had publicly is how do you operate a society when you have super duper smart people or super duper powerful people or super duper strong people, basically Nazi super race types, and then you have everyone else. So you will have the Marvel superhero class and the peasant useless humans right that's what he's saying so he believes that's a discussion that needs to be had right well we'll be part of that discussion i'm sure they'll check in with us folks how about we say no to the superhumans pretty easy pretty easy folks all right let's continue and so if you look historically in the past anytime there's been uh, an imbalance in in performance that's created resentment and 
the best place to go for that, we realized, was media, movies, literature, music, poetry. And when you look there, oftentimes these cyborg technologies are perceived in a dystopian manner. There's a fear. There's a feeling that when you integrate man and machine together, there's a loss of soul and compassion. <laughs> so now... Dr. Peter Emanuel is talking about talking about the dystopian movies in which are predictive programming, folks, basically part of MKUltra mind control to prime people for these technologies. So what he's saying is they're always showing this merger of man and machine as some kind of evil thing, something that ends up removing ethics and morality and so it's looked at in a really bad way but i would say when you take the movie probably the the best dystopian film in modern history the matrix uh clearly it didn't turn people away from the matrix except for you know me and you because these guys are building the matrix they clearly think it is a great idea. I mean, what are they doing, folks? Building these transcranial electronic stimulation helmets under the NQ program, which is to strap on this helmet to be able to read your mind, to be able to write thoughts into your head. I mean, come on, folks. The, the metaverse, that is the matrix. So now Peter's talking about how these movies create this dark image and so that is what the poor military is combating when they have to introduce this stuff to the public and brainwash people into widely accepting it which i haven't figured out yet why they have to get anyone to widely accept anything because they can just do whatever they want to do but as i told you what i think that is is that if there are still scientists and engineers that have some level of uh, ethics and morals and principles and values in themselves wired into their DNA, they have to be able to convince those guys to use their brain power to continue to build the Frankenstein technology. So it's those people that they have to propagandize and brainwash into getting on board with engineering humanity out of existence. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold, and I am Dustin Gold. All right, folks. All right, we're almost done. We just have a few more minutes to analyze on this podcast, and we can clear it off our desk. And then the next episode, we are going to move into part two with two U.S. Army ethics gentlemen who have been tasked with how to push this stuff forward into society. Let me just read you a little something. Um, this is from the Cyborg Soldier 2050 document, the paper that this podcast is based on. And we're eventually going to go through this with a fine-tooth comb, folks. 
because it is very important. But I want to get through the two podcasts before we do that. And then we're going to need to do that before we get into, I believe, Dr. James Giordano and then back into Paperclip uh, and the history of Paperclip. Uh, But this is uh, number four. This says, efforts should be undertaken to reverse negative cultural narratives of enhancement technologies. And I'm reading this to you because this is what Dr. Peter Emanuel is discussing uh, right now. Efforts should be undertaken to reverse negative cultural narratives of enhancement technologies. Across popular social and open source media literature and film, the use of machines to enhance the physical condition of the human species has received a distorted and dystopian narrative in the name of entertainment. A more realistic and balanced, if not more positive, narrative, along with transparency in the government's approach to technology adoption, will serve to better educate the public, mitigate societal apprehensions, and remove barriers to productive adoption of these new technologies. A more informed public will also help illuminate valid social concerns, such as those surrounding privacy, so that Department of Defense personnel can develop mitigation strategies whenever possible. Although not intrinsically a Department of Defense mission, defense leadership should understand that negative public and social perceptions will need to be overcome if these technologies are to be fielded. So they're writing right in there about how they have to better brainwash the public to get them on board with this. Again, folks, I don't think they need to get you or I on board with this. I think they have to get the scientists and engineers on board with this. They have to get the young kids that they sent to school for STEM-related fields, the scientists, the technology folks, the engineering kids, and the mathematicians. They have to get them on board with wanting to help them build this technology. So they have to kind of strip away what they call the distorted and dystopian narrative and make it more positive uh, if possible. And so they talk openly about it. They talk about how they need to run a propaganda campaign. Now, remember, this document is written in 2019. We're three years into this now. So what steps have been taken? I don't know, folks. Guess who's been out on the Joe Rogan experience since this was written? A little guy, a little guy named Elon Musk, right? So in 2018, he goes on the Joe Rogan experience. And uh, that is in the process of when this paper was being researched and written. And so he goes on the Joe Rogan experience. I showed you the clip. We analyzed it. And he basically said, I can't talk a lot about the Neuralink brain chip, but I can talk a little bit about it. And then he comes back in 2020 and he blabs about it for a long time. 
while he smokes a joint, drinks some whiskey with Joe Rogan, and Rogan says, yeah, man, this is freaky, this is freaky, but oh my God, this is so cool. Dude, we're going to be able to talk to each other without actually talking. Wow, it's like the Matrix. And Musk is like, yeah, yeah. So they started the normalization the education, the desensitization process that they're talking about in this document written for the DOD about the beginning of how to normalize this. What did we just see happen a week ago? They sent out Elon Musk in the black leather jacket, right? They had him up on stage with the Optimus robot with the logo, which was the two robot hands forming a heart shape. And they had the Optimus robot come walking out on stage and dance a little bit. And they had Musk kind of make it goofy. They humanized it. Oh, the robot can't totally walk yet. But folks, it's going to have a brain inside it soon. You know? And so what else do they do? They publish all the World Economic Forum videos. They literally put the furthest extreme guy out there, Yuval Noah Harari, to sound like a Nazi, telling you you're a useless human, you're a hackable animal, you have no soul, you have no free will, those days are over. You have no spirit. You are a hackable animal. Here's the formula. We control the data. Those who control the data are the gods of the new era. And they've been putting it out there. They put Event 201 out there. They put Claydex out there. They put Spars Pandemic out there. They're not hiding any of it. And you ask yourself, why? Well, what are they writing about in these military documents? That they need to add a more balanced, a more positive, a better spin on this stuff. They need to get it out into the lexicon. So I think what they partially do is they put a Yuval Noah Harari out there to play one side. They put an Elon Musk to play the other side. And you say, I don't want the Yuval Noah Harari. I'm not a hackable animal. But then you lean, not you or me, regular people. They all flock to Musk. He's going to save Twitter. He's so cool in his leather jacket. He's got satellites that are going to give me better internet out in the woods. He's flipping rockets upside down that can land and they're more environmentally friendly. He's got solar panels to go on my roof. He's got an electric car he's selling. His brain chip isn't the same as Yuval Noah Harari's brain chip. You see, the propaganda campaigns are already here, folks. We are living in it. We are living in the middle of the rebranding of what came out of Paperclip, which became MK Ultra, which became DARPA, which became Brain Initiative, which became the Cyborg Soldier. All right, let's finish up with this uh, podcast. Have a society in which some people are operating at a higher level all the time, and what does that imbalance in performance do to the dynamic between the two populations? And so, if you look historically in the past, anytime there's been uh, an imbalance in in performance that's created resentment. And the best place to go for that, we realized, was media, movies. Okay, right? So this imbalance in performance, right? It's like going back and talking about equal outcome versus equal opportunity. 
And so that's what he's referring to, this resentment. Like, oh, I'm mad because Michael Jordan could dunk from the foul line and I can't, right? So that's what he's referring to. Let's continue. Literature, music, poetry. And when you look there, oftentimes these cyborg technologies are perceived in a dystopian manner. There's a fear. There's a feeling that when you integrate man and machine together, there's a loss of soul and compassion and that that leads to inadvertent technological consequences. Well, of course, when you engineer humans out of existence, they're no longer going to have a soul. So let's just see what he says, because he's obviously very concerned that certain of these movies, certain of this artwork has turned people against the idea of the cyborg. Frankenstein, the Terminator was the way we talked about it. And so if we're going to be interoperable with our NATO allies, if we're going to adopt these technologies, we have to realize that the society has to be accepting of these technologies. It can't be something that the Department of Defense does on its own, in a vacuum, irrespective of what society is willing to accept and what the global community at large will perceive of that endeavor. Right, right. So he's talking about how we need to propagandize, right? We need to propagandize everyone, the whole world. Everyone has to be on board with this so that we can roll out our cyborgs and uh, no one's going to have a problem with it. But I'm telling you, folks, what it's really about is that they need to be able to get the scientists and engineers, the humans that they still need, to be part of the programs, to play the Sidney Gottliebs in this. They need them on board to help finish this final solution, folks. That's what it is. Let's continue. Well, that's profound, and I, I think that's as strong a note as any to end on. Dr. Duelis, do you have any parting thoughts as well? No, I, I think Peter really summed it up nicely. This, is, this has been a pleasure um, talking about this. It's been a great conversation. It has. I am fascinated and frightened at the same time. So <laughs> thank you both so much for your insights. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. All right, folks, we will thank them as well, because obviously they'd never come on this show. Uh, so we had to analyze that podcast. But that was very important. I think we learned a lot of stuff from that podcast. And it was a great introduction to the Cyborg Soldier 2050 paper. Better to listen to them in their own words, through their own voice, before we actually get into the nitty-gritty. Because sometimes you read the paper, you don't really understand who's behind it. And so you could hear with them talking about this revolutionary moment that's coming, talking about how we are going to have... Um, you know, more of these soldiers injured in war that we could bring back and play with as guinea pigs. Talking about how we need to propagandize and brainwash the public into this stuff. So, on the next episode, what we're going to get into, folks, is the second part of this. This is the Super Soldiers Part 2, The Dark Side. And this features Dr. Edward T. Barrett who is the Director of Research at the U.S. Naval Academy's Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership and its, and its ethics professor in the Department of Leadership, Ethics and Law. And Dr. 
Tony Pfaff, who is currently the research professor for strategy for the military profession and ethics at the Strategic Studies Institute at the U.S. Army War College. He's also a senior non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council. And so now you're going to get to hear from these two gentlemen who are working on the ethics side of this. And you will see when it comes to ethics, it's a big discussion, really, a big discussion about how they're going to further brainwash and propagandize folks into accepting it. And as I've said now a couple of times, and I will repeat it because I think it's the highlight of this discussion, is that there are a lot of folks that they push to go to school for STEM-related fields over the last, you know, decade. And so those are the humans that they need to cast their worries aside. Uh, Sort of like the Bohemian Grove cremation of care. They need to cast their care aside. And they need to help these folks who obviously have no soul they need to help them build this Frankenstein technology. These humans that they sent to school for STEM are the bridge to get from man to machine. See, man merging with machine will eventually be man to machine and the end of humanity. And so they need them. They need the Dr. Sidney Gottlieb's on board. They already have the Nazi scientists and the Japanese torturers. Those are the Dr. Peter Emanuels and Dr. Diane Duliuses and Dr. James Giordano's and Dr. Charles Morgan III's. Those are the torturers. Those are the people that know how to run these experiments. They are the ones that are very close to completely hacking the mind and the body and to engineering humanity out of existence. So now they need these STEM kids on board, and they can't have these Marvel movies in the way, or they can't have the Matrix in the way of making these kids go, I don't know, I don't know if I want to be involved with this. I don't know if I want to be involved with helping you research, develop, engineer, and deploy the final solution for all of humanity. So that's why you're seeing this desensitization campaign. I apologize. I always slip up there. The desensitization campaign being run right now, why they are sending real-life Tony Stark, Elon Musk out in his leather jacket with the Optimus robot, you're watching in real time how they are changing the narrative of this stuff And they are going to get these kids on board with the idea of helping these Frankenstein doctors and these Nazi monsters engineer humans out of existence, which is the real final solution. Ladies and gentlemen, when we get back on the next show, Super Soldier Part 2, The Dark Side. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion. 
at pain.tv slash gold.